0: Hey listeners, this is William Sterling and you're listening to the Killer Mediums podcast where we talk about all your favorite horror tropes and how they manifest across all your favorite mediums of entertainment. As a warning, this is a very spoiler-heavy podcast, so if you're hoping to dodge spoilers for any of today's major topics, including the House of Wax movies and some short stories from the Slasher anthology, turn back now. That said, today's topic is Spinal Girls and we are joined by guest Haley Newland. Let's get spooky!
1: tied bells to everybody in the morgue so if they heard a ting they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go
0: and here we are haley how are you today
1: I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here. I'm just like feeling revved up and just ready to talk about Final Girls.
0: Awesome. And we are so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank uh, you. First of all, I just like giving everybody a chance at the very beginning of the episode to kind of tell listeners, who are you? what What's your niche in the horror genre?
1: Yeah. Okay. So my name is Haley Newland. Um, I am a horror author I also write uh, reviews for Cemetery Dance Magazine, so I love reading horror novels. I am an avid Vincent Price fan, which is kind of how I started moving up a little bit in the horror community and making some friends and things, just teaching people about Vincent Price, kind of showing him why, you know, showing why I love him. Um, I'm also a film student at NYU, studying uh, horror specifically. And that just helped me find my love of B-level movies that Vincent Price is typically in.
0: Fantastic. And there's a lot of stuff in there that I want to dive into. So for, for example, Vincent Price, I am one of the horror newbies that hasn't really done a deep dive into like the older horror movies. So you're actually the one that pitched an episode to me a second right night, uh, <laughs> on the email. And you mentioned Vincent Price in the email. And that was one of the big hooks for me was, like, I know this is a massive blind spot in my horror background I, I, I don't know anything about Vincent Price so watching House of Wax was really enlightening for me and then I went and watched uh, House on Haunted Hill with him yes and, uh, but I'm excited to hear somebody that you really know the background you know the history with him to really like flesh everything out for me so uh, I'm excited about that
1: I'm so excited and Vincent Price has been he he's in so I'm I'm in the upcoming anthology um, there's more of us than you know It's a queer horror anthology um, from Blood Rights Horror, edited by Spencer Hamilton, if you haven't read any of his work, The Man's a Genius. And so I'm really excited because I do have this moment where the house on Haunted Hill, you know, the the wife mentions getting her husband a drink, and Vincent goes, yes, arsenic on the rocks. (laughs) And I I put that in there. I put that in there as a little nod. And um, my, my, my couple in my book, they're actually, they're lesbians. And so when um, they talk about like kind of like the, I always mispronounce the word. Is it suave? Like that kind of a yeah suave. When they talk about that of Vincent Price, I I have her say, um, you know how much she loved that man, and then she looks at her wife and says, "But no man can make me tremble like this." And I <laughs> it just kind of it was it was almost like difficult to type because I I do identify as transsexual, but like oh man, Vincent Price just it just his voice is very it gets, it gets, you know, women horror fans feeling spicy.
0: (laughs) So let's go ahead and start diving into the Vincent Price stuff then, since we've kind of started on this. That was the first thing that jumped out to me about him was I've been watching a lot of the modern horror movies for a long time. There's nobody that leaps off the screen like he did as being just so classy. Yes. Like if I don't know, I guess like if Michael Caine did a bunch of horror movies nowadays or actors-, actors That's
1: a brilliant <laughs> comparison.
0: <laughs> but how, I think I read something that Vincent Price, like his first real horror movie was House of Wax, right? Or am I wrong about that?
1: I hate to say, you're the host here. No, you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> I hate to say oh, that. <laughs> um, I'm, learning. I'm trying to think. I believe the, the Tingler was before House of Wax. I could be wrong. Let me see. Um, the Tingler- Oh, no, you're right. Okay. So there is one that, that came out in like 49. And it's, it's kind of considered a thriller, but I definitely see the horror elements in it, because it's kind of like the mad scientist, you know, goes too far, you know, or the scientist goes too far and is kind of into madness. And so I think that that kind of leads towards some classic horror tropes, you know, some get some Mary Shelley in there, right. um, that sort of thing. So The Tingler is fantastic. Um, What I love about The Tingler and House on Haunted Hill is they're a very unique subgenre of horror called gimmick horror. And so that just, like, doesn't exist anymore. But I, this is going to sound so creepy, but I don't mean it that way. I love meeting really old horror fans, like, especially old horror men. Um, because a lot of, and that's going to sound so creepy, That sounds really
0: weird when you just take it out of context, but I get what you're going for. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I I am not looking for a spooky sugar daddy. Let's just be explicit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I love it because they remember going to see those movies um, in the theater. And for some reason, it was like, I don't know if it was the timing, and like that was not classy of a woman, or, you know, this was before Elvira kind of revived um, Vincent Price. But... William Castle was really into the audience feeling uh, what was going on. And so he did some things that we would consider super goofy, but you have to think back then it would it would be creepy. And so, like, one thing they did was when they had the Tingler movie come out, um, they paid nurses like to wear the full like, you know, white gown, white hat, and they would stand at the back of the movie theaters because this, this was so disturbing, people would pass out and, and stuff like that. And then they would pay regular viewers to kind of just like actually like run their fingernails up the back of somebody's spine. And they would practice. And so he would write about like them practicing, like, so they would have people in there and the person would, you know, go up behind the viewer and do that. And then like duck down, like, haha, that was the thing, but you don't know. And it was cool because William Castle in The Tingler, the first couple of minutes, he directs the audience. So he breaks that fourth wall and he says, like, the only way to get rid of the tingler is to scream and scream as loud as you can. And so uh, it's so funny because I did some research and I found a couple of like movie theater, just employees and stuff back then. And they were like, we were getting in trouble and had to say, we're only playing the Tingler today because somebody else is watching some like romance movie and the audience is just screaming because William Castle told them to. <laughs> so I love that. And then, you know, like when um, House on Haunted Hill came out, excuse me, some select theaters would do um, like drop the skeleton down, you know, like when or when the woman starts screaming and she she's uh, hanged herself, then they would drop a skeleton like randomly somewhere in the theater. And so that was just so much fun to me. Like, even though these aren't, there's definitely better horror movies that are like, sometimes you, these Vincent Price movies are ending and you're like, oh, that's the end. But they're just, they're so much fun. And like you said, no matter what role he is in good or evil, he just comes off the screen.
0: That's fascinating. Cause we're, we're trying so hard or. I guess this fad has kind of died off, but we were trying so hard to make 3D movies a thing. And back in the, vintage, yeah, at 4D movies. And it was just like, <laughs> yeah.
1: But- and I love when William Castle is kind of breaking that, that fourth wall. It has a, um, a certain like, cause my first experience with that was definitely Rod Serling, Alfred Hitchcock a little bit. So to go back even further and see this director that nobody like considered to be artful, people kind of, that was kind of a thing. It was like, he was somebody who felt like he always had to, ex- his movies explain why they why they did these things and it's really powerful to see him and vincent price together because vincent price got it you know what i mean vincent price was never like this guy's crazy he's like this is so much fun
0: yeah
1: it was like campy horror you know before campy horror became a thing
0: right and there there's that natural evolution of like the things that scared people back then are not the things that scare people now. Like we kind of get desensitized to one trick and we move on to the next trick and we get desensitized to that trick and move on to the next trick. And it kind of builds from there. So it's fun to have this little time capsule where we can go back and watch Vincent Price. And the movies are genuinely creepy. They're just creepy in a very different way than we do it nowadays.
1: Right.
0: So yeah, I don't know.
1: And I think if I can, if I can add something, I think that's what I appreciate so much is you can watch these movies and you understand that they're low budget. You understand that, you know, they might not always have the most, some of the actors are bad. <laughs> some of the actors standing and, you know, that could also be, you know, standing in a room with Vincent Price, but um, some of the actors are flat out bad, but I, there's just something about him that even when he is the good guy it it reminds me of reading an old Shirley Jackson book. You just know that that like that unease and dread is just building and building and building with every line he delivers. You know, today people think about Alan Rickman for how he delivered lines. And of course Alan Rickman was amazing, but that's kind of how I, I would put Vincent Price up there just for line delivery and his little mannerisms that he creates in his characters.
0: I, I see that comparison too. That's a really good one. But this seems like a really good segue to get into our first movie. So uh, the original House of Wax, you were talking about how how he plays this good guy character. Sometimes you can slowly see him coming unhinged. And I think House of Wax is a really great depiction of that. Because when we first see Vincent Price in this movie, he's relatively normal. He keeps saying kind of odd lines here and there about the wax sculptures that he's talking about. And it's like, I don't. I don't know what his relationship is with this art. He he clearly has a deep passion for what he does here. But a couple of the lines he's saying, like they're crossing a line, but then by the end of the movie, he is completely unravelled. So maybe uh, I don't I don't know if I have a question in there or not.
1: Okay, no, I, I can always pile on. What I what I love about um, are we we're allowed to do spoilers in this, right?
0: Yes, full spoiler co- podcast. We are okay all
1: the way um i love i love love evil vincent price in this movie so at first you get the artist and you feel bad for him but you're absolutely right they do that kind of unease and dread thing they make you see how passionate he is especially about his mary antoinette figure which there's like sexual tension between him and this wax figurine but it's it it works you know
0: he 100% like did something to that dog.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't think she stays on the stand at night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm so glad you, you allow me to be me. Because uh,
0: no, Go there, go, go there on this podcast. It's totally fine.
1: It's so funny. I used to teach, um, I'm just getting off topic for a second. I used to teach children's fiction writing. Yes. And I'd be like, I'd be, people would be like, how does that? I'm like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> and I'm like, right. And then they kind of like look at me like, um, so yeah, yeah, I, I, I mean, whatever. But um, so I love that. I also love, and I, I don't know if you caught this, Carolyn Jones is in this movie. Yeah. The original Morticia.
0: And she is very different from her Adams Family role. And she's, she's good. Ditzy yeah. And
1: Yeah, bubbly, ditzy. She's also like, she's very, very sweet and genuine. The first time I watched House of Wax, her voice drove me insane. I was like, oh, what is wrong with this woman? But as I continue watching the movie, now it makes me laugh. Like it feels like an old relic. And um, I honestly think that was the part that she was given. And I think she does an excellent job. Um, and if we can, you know, you said we're good spoilers, right? I know I'm just always hesitant. It's, 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 go for it. So, but I also love they did do a really, and this is something that I think modern horror misses sometimes is you have to make us care about the people you kill before you kill them. That's always been my opinion.
0: Into and that not, when you talk about the remake.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love when people. I go. My favorite movie is House of Wax, and they're like. Really? Really? And I go, not Paris in oh yeah, 1953. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: yeah. And they're like, oh, I didn't realize it's a remake. And, you know, the Vincent Price one is actually a remake. There's a, a movie, like, from the 20s that that is all about this.
0: Um, or something like that?
1: Yeah, yeah, something, it had, yeah. It's a
0: different title, but yeah. Yeah.
1: So, um, I really loved that. I loved Vincent Price. We slowly see him on Hinge. I also love that there's all these bodies missing from mm-hmm. the morgue and then the place down the street is building wax figurines that look just like the bodies and we're like man he's good i don't know how he's that good but he's good like it's, it's like, just
0: so funny <laughs> it's like 20 minutes in the detectives are looking at one of the wax sculptures going like this looks just like the guy that disappeared
1: yeah yeah it's
0: gonna be a really short movie if these detectives are any good at their jobs and they're not <laughs>
1: yes and i always love um so i have a few i'm in this. this Indie horror, um, we call it indie horror mastermind, and we call ourselves the Spooky Friends. Um, we're like this little group of writers, and I've i gotten all of them to watch at least one Vincent Price movie. Um, but it's really funny because I don't know if if you remember after they listened to Sue Allen, the main character, um, after they listen to her talk about you know what she thinks happened to her friend when she sees her friend's body clearly up there as as Joan of Arc, you know, just hanging up there. She, you know, when the detectives talk about it later, they're like, oh, leave a skirt to make something like that up. And I, I listened to that at first and I was like, did they just refer to her as a skirt because she's a woman? I was like, what the hell? Damn. So now now I have this thing with some of my my lady, my women in horror friends, when some guy says something stupid to us, we're like, leave it to a skirt to make that up. <laughs> <laughs> but so I, I love that movie, um, that line that line that vincent price gives um when he's taking people you know he's taking is it professor wallace yes professor wallace through the um museum kind of getting trying to get him to fund it he says that you know he i'm gonna butcher it but he says something about how he wants to give people shock horror, you know send them out into the streets to scream and tell their friends how wonderful it is to be scared to death
0: and that's that's when he's reopening the wax museum right right yeah let, let me let me roll this back a little bit and set the stage for the movie. So with this movie, we've got Vincent Price and he's building a wax museum and it burns down when he and his business partner have a skerfuffle. Um, and we show back up later on and he's rebuilding the wax museum, but everybody thought he died in the fire. So how's he still here? <laughs> uh, so he's rebuilding the museum, but something that was fun with this, I guess, let me hit a couple of points here and then I'll throw it back to you. Unlike the typical slasher movie, This movie doesn't feel so focused on the victims. This is very much Vincent Price's movie, and it's watching him and trying to figure out what happened to him and what's going on with this museum. And another big thing with his evolution is the first time they're at the museum, the original one, he's making a lot of these comments about how he doesn't like diving into the macabre. He doesn't like kind of the horror element. He's very passive about that. And then we come back and it is all these execution scenes. He has an electric chair rigged up and he's got a guillotine rigged up and he's got all of these just death sequences. And we see this immediate switch of his character. But uh, what got me onto that tangent? Uh, I had a point I was going to try to come back to. Oh, well, it's gone. Um, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But, but yeah, so. Was it
1: the line I talked about? Was it the line I talked about? Is that what got you on the tangent when I said the line?
0: Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Um, so so he comes back and now he's into the dark and the nitty gritty stuff and the, all, all the horror elements. So, yes. OK, so back to you. Sorry.
1: No, you're fine. you're fine. I, I honestly I need someone to rein me in when I talk about Vincent Price, because I just go. I just go. And I don't know if you have noticed. Uh, I do have a Vincent Price tattoo. I have a portrait of Vincent Price. And it is um, glorious. Thank you. Thank you. I, I have to do a little bit more work on it. The eyes are actually going to have like a bright green, like twilight zone um, kind of glare. And if, this is a, um, a Vincent Price movie that I think it's overlooked. And I highly recommend it. It's called Diary of a Madman. Okay. And I don't think, no, it's not based on um, the, you know, I'm trying to think what's that short story. It's not based on that classic story. Um, it's actually based on a short story called The Horla and so it's basically this like invisible entity that wants to take over humanity and I got a little off track but what I, what I was trying to say there was it's interesting because his job is a judge in that in that movie but he finds his way into art to like kind of relieve the the strain and so I love it because if you kind of like seeing him become morbid here, the morbid artist, the pissed off artist, the vengeful artist, that one is really cool because he becomes the not pissed off, not morbid, but it's like a duality in his character. It's like um, the Horla living within him. And then this surprised him that doesn't understand what's happening. So that's, that's really cool to see. Um, And you see that with this movie too, especially, you know, He's all about beauty. I don't care for that sort of that sort of thing talking about, you know, horror and then he's all about look at my Marie Antoinette, she's beautiful. And what I love is that he still wants to put the Marie Antoinette in in the horror section. He's like for contrast, for contrast. Like as if that makes any sense at all.
0: <laughs> oh no, I'm a history teacher and I'm about to be confused about this. She gets beheaded, right? She, she yes. the the big French Revolution where they Okay, talk, so right.
1: So it, it makes sense. And you know what? Being the writer, I'm thinking it was his own kind of horrific incident. So maybe it makes sense. Yeah. Maybe it makes sense. Okay. I'm sorry. Sorry, director, (laughs) screenwriters. I'm sorry. Um, But that, that was fantastic. I love the, um, you kind of get some of that gimmick, like goofiness too, with the guy who is hired um, to, I can't even, what is that called? It's like, you know, when he's swinging the ball on the little paddle, um, the guy outside who- Oh, the
0: paddle ball.
1: The paddle ball, yeah. Okay. Oh, me, he swings the ball in the paddle? What's that called?
0: <laughs> so, that's another thing we should mention here. This is billed as one of the first 3D movies. <laughs> and it doesn't play like that. Like, a lot of times in 3D movies, you can see where they're, oh, the thing's coming at you. And this keeps it very subdued. It keeps it very in the background except for the paddle ball sequence. There's just that one moment where somebody's hitting a paddle ball at the screen. It's like, aha, Yeah,
1: (laughs) And I I love it because, so I've seen this movie a hundred times, okay? But it wasn't until I rewatched it because I knew we were going to be talking about it that I realized when he's like, don't be afraid. It's not you I'm aiming for. It's the popcorn. That's when I realized he was talking to us, breaking that fourth wall. I just assumed that there's like a kid standing outside of the house of wax, like eating popcorn. So then I was, I was like sipping wine and watching it. I'm like, oh shit, is he talking to me? (laughs) It was so funny. I just like, I was dying laughing, but we have to talk about our final girl too.
0: Yeah. So do we want to dive into the finale here? If this is the final girls episode, then um how does the final girl trope show up in the original movie here
1: yeah so so you talked about how vincent price um is really the lead of this film but what i think is interesting is it's almost like vincent price got people in the door and vincent price is vincent price and crushes it but the sue allen character really does step up and she's she's a lead for sure and um I I think that woman's actors acting is fantastic. There were a couple times when I was like, who just walks into the door slowly, falls into somebody's arms. Oh, I was so scary. I'm just a mess. But, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't panicked enough. You know, she walks into the door after Vincent Price is chasing her through the streets and she knocks on the door frantically. They let her in and she's like, oh no, I'm just like, well then where's your where's your Laurie Strode? Like, oh God, somebody help me. Like I was waiting for that. But other than that, I think she's fantastic. What I love about the final girl trope, that I don't think it's talked about enough and is sometimes misrepresented, especially like, I'm so sorry if you love this movie. I am not a fan of Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
0: Okay, all right. You hate me? I don't hate you. I do want to hear your logic though.
1: Okay, All right. So I watched it and I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. So I'd never seen it. I'd never seen it until about a year ago. And I love, love 70s horror, love 70s horror. And so I was like, this is going to be amazing. Like Leatherface is creepy as shit. Like, yeah, this is going to be cool. And And it's based on, you know, Ed Gein, a serial killer. So I thought that was awesome. Well, you don't love any of those characters. I don't remember any of their names. When they, when they die, I'm not like, oh my God, like, oh man, that sucks. You know, you don't, you're not like, oh, they're going to die. They're going to die. You're just like, yeah, they're going to die. It's coming. They're dead. (laughs) Sorry about you. You know, it's kind of one of those. And I understand that those movies are fun, that sort of thing. But I love it when you see somebody who can do both, somebody who can bring both in. And I think Wes Craven, I'm going to hop forward. I think Wes Craven did that really well. And especially the opening of Scream. Yeah. Not just because you're surprised that they killed Drew Barrymore, but you like Drew Barrymore immediately, you like her character. And then it's sad when you see her hanging from the tree all gutted and she's you know, trying to speak, but he's, he's clutched her throat so hard. So that's my logic with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I just don't think they make you care about any of the people who die. And so I, I like that in horror. To me, that makes it scarier, you know, and not on a necessarily like jump scare. This is scary, but I think all of us have that shared fear of losing somebody that we care about, somebody that we like. And so I felt this here, and uh, in, in House of Wax, and that's so sorry I went off on my tangent. But when when this trope is done really really well, um, you always see that. You always see that a woman knows. Like a woman knows. So a woman has some kind of idea when something is off. And I think that's because psychologically women are tend to be more on guard, more alert than men, that sort of thing. And so especially like if you look at, you know, true crime cases, like how many women called and were like this is Ted Bundy. This is Ted Bundy and they're like you know, the house of wax thing, leave it up to us, leave it to a skirt to make up something <laughs> like that. <laughs> you know, and so I liked that here it was that it was that trope. Because to me, that's a really great final girl trope. And it doesn't have to exist everywhere, but it's like a subcategory of final girls is when the woman knows something's wrong, but everybody else is kind of like, haha, like this is so fun. We're gonna throw a football over the fire <laughs> going to the the modern house of wax. So I like that she was like. No, that's Kathy. Um, She only has, Kathy only had, you know, Kathy being her friend, Carolyn Jones. She says that's Kathy that, that Vincent Price has made um, Joan of Arc. And she is so certain about it. She does not really back down. um, Even when like no one's looking. I mean, I think it's, it's two times that she gets like standing up, looking at the, at the wax um, figurine when she's not supposed to. And she notices that the the wax figurine only has one earring. And her friend only had had one ear pierce. And I did some digging because it's me, I have to, especially for stories. Apparently that wasn't super uncommon um, back in the day because how they used to pierce your ears really fucking hurts. <laughs> and so some some women would try. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so some women would try it too young, you know, too young, like maybe an older sibling had it or something. So they would try it a little young. And it wasn't like as quick as it is now. I mean, it's digging a needle into your, so um, they would do one and be done. Or what, what would happen, and Carolyn Jones, I guess, actually gave them this idea, was she said that when her older sister tried to pierce her ears, her mother walked in, and they had one done, and her mother's like, uh-uh, uh-uh, we're not doing this. And so she always had one. And so I th- I just thought that was really cool and I just I love that angle of the final girl the final girl that picks up on a little bit of unease. I never I never want them to be all knowing. That's not the point. It's not women know everything. She's got it figured out, but it's I do think women tend to be a little on guard. I mean, you even heard they were trying to get hired at, at some restaurant And the manager throws things at women and um, they're like, oh, you have to watch out for him because he he likes to throw things out of servers. So I do think that she was used to being a little bit more on guard. She was having trouble even finding somewhere to stay, that kind of thing. And so I thought it was really fitting for her character to start to say, "Okay, this this isn't right. Something's weird here. And then for the curiosity to just be too much for her or not even the curiosity, her knowing. And, you know, her taking off the wig of Joan of Arc and revealing it's her friend. And she's the first, she's the, the only victim to make it out of Vincent Price's little waxed figurine uh, workshop. I mean, and she gets close. She's like in the chamber. They've got her skin tone mixed up. I mean, that that's pretty creepy.
0: Yeah. So we've we started hitting on the final girl trope here officially now. So the, the big thing that I look for, with final girls and one of the things that i think like kind of characterizes this trope is like you were talking about they're going to be the ones that are a little bit more cautious in the group and they're going to be the ones that are very observant in the group right a final girl doesn't need to be some superpowered like i can run through this entire (laughs) cornfield and i can like overpower the killer like that they are very intentionally not that person because you've got the jock in the group and you'll have uh, you'll have the people person in the group or the socialite in the group but the final girl is always going to be the person that's just a little bit more hold on everybody what are we doing here that wax figurine looks exactly like my best friend that just disappeared Uh, I'm, I'm putting some stuff together and another trope is that nobody ever believes her so that's right. that brings it home here in House of Wax for me is there, there's not a big group friend in the original, like we think of typically nowadays in the slasher movie, Yeah. Uh, have this big groups friend. But besides that, she is every single characteristic that we normally look for. She's cautious. She's paying attention. Nobody believes her, but she sticks to her guns. And ultimately, that's the thing that saves her. That's the thing that gets her out of this, whereas everyone else pretty much dies. Yeah,
1: And can I add one more thing I thought it was a cool touch just to like, so she's already uneasy thinking this isn't right. This guy is like fucking insane. And we left out a huge part. He wants Sue Allen, Vincent Price wants Sue Allen to be his new Mary Antoinette. Yes. And so I thought that was like, you know, it wasn't just, okay, like she made it to the end. I mean, she escaped like being the centerpiece of this all. Like I thought that was, brilliant on the on the um the writer's side i also loved that vincent as he was saying he was going to use her as a model they show her a figurine they made of her head and so they just open a box and it's her head and i see that's what I, i i thought that was really intentional because you do find you do find in horror movies when they just they throw in those little scare factors those little ooh that's that's disturbing but i thought this this movie, especially for being kind of B-level, did such a good job of throwing in those little hints of unease, those hints of dread, that kind of thing. And I think it is one that's, it's, it's disturbing, but I mean, it's a good time too, for sure.
0: Yeah. And another thing, uh, like going along with showing her the head, which that must be the creepiest thing possible to see your own head in a box. Right. He's also if you listen to Vincent Bryce's dialogue while he's talking to you, he is very honest about his intentions with her. He never says, I wanna use you as the model for Marian- Marie Antoinette. He keeps saying, you will be my Marie Antoinette. Come, let me make you into Marie Antoinette. Yeah. She's not picking up on it, but everyone in the audience that kind of gets what's going on here is like, he's just telling her what's about to happen. Yeah. She's like she gets it enough to be leery, but then she still goes in at the end of the night, and it's see. Uh, and
1: that's that's one of my favorite. Yeah, I'm sorry. And that's one of my favorite things with the final girl is when it's like their little understandings are help us. We're like, yeah, yeah, you're right. And then it's like it gets to the point where I I think part of it is also you know, like her boyfriend, or I don't know if he was like official, but um, he, he's trying to say, no, you you you've made all these fantasies in your head, you're, you're grief stricken. And then, and then the cops, you know, they don't believe her at all either, or they say they don't. But I think that that's, that's a huge part of the angle that I love is, or, I mean, I hate, but I love it because it's realistic, is that women are kind of told to stop trusting your instinct because you're being a woman, you know, you're being, you're being the upset woman. And so I love it when you see in the end where maybe they started to do that. And then, you know, then their character arc is them getting back into that mindset that, no, I know this is bad. I know what's going on. And I think that that's really cool when that comes in and kind of saves everything.
0: Right. I was right. I'm not going to be gaslighted. Like-
1: right. And I think we see it with Sydney Prescott in Scream too.
0: Yes. Uh, we, we've got a whole episode about the Scream franchise and Meta Slashers so, also with Shelley Grant. I'm so pumped about that.
1: <laughs> so what am I? I need to listen to that.
0: Yes. Uh, I think I'm going to make this a one-two combo. I'm, I'm going to have this this episode come out about just Final Girls playing it straight and then counter it immediately with, all right, Meta Slashers. So when we know these are the rules, what's going to go on?
1: That's amazing. Uh,
0: I actually recorded this uh, a couple of days ago with Shelly Grant, but she does a great job. She's really into the Scream franchise, very knowledgeable about it, like you are with Vincent Price. So this will be a good good combination.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I, I, love, I love that for some reason, Vincent Price does make me think of Scream a little bit. And um, I think it is the final girl thing going on a bit. I also think it's all these little signs of something's not right here. And it is weird because they kind of convince you, you know, the most obvious answer is wrong. They convince you of that for a little bit or enough that you're willing to sit back and be like, maybe something else is going on. And so I think that that's, that's really cool. I also love the little moments that remind you of the time you're in, like the two guys who work in the morgue talking about somebody getting hit by one of them automobiles. (laughs) And the guy goes, I don't think those things went go fast enough to hurt somebody and he's like give them time (laughs) like I just I love that it's so cool
0: (laughs) okay so let's let's go ahead and segue now to the remake so oh the remake
1: oh the remake
0: (laughs) I think this does a good job of presenting us with something to talk about for the final girl trope and I don't think it does anything beyond
1: that no no and one thing I will
0: sorry go ahead yeah, uh, what What are your thoughts on this movie? What does it do for the final girl trope? Kind of, you take it away for a little bit here.
1: Okay, I hate this movie. Uh, <laughs> one thing I always feel I have to say up front is this bad movie was not Paris Hilton's fault. This was not Paris Hilton's fault.
0: No, It and she's not great in it, but she's not- No,
1: no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think Paris Hilton did her job. She got people into the theater, yeah. but- um, I've talked about this before on another podcast but one thing that I, I hate about this is let's push the final girl trope you know that kind of thing that should be empowering but then we're gonna try to sell this movie based on the fact oh you get to see Paris Hilton die like that was seriously if you go back that's how they start they trying to advertise this thing like haha Paris Hilton dies yep. and um, that's awful like you don't have to love Paris Hilton you don't have to watch her show but like Let's all live out our fantasies and watch Paris and die. Like, that'll be great. And uh, so I felt so bad for her. And I'm just like, poor thing. But I think she did what she was supposed to do. She got people, you know, into the, into the theaters, um, that kind of thing. So I don't blame her. I do always laugh, though, at the beginning when she's looking at an apartment. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to speak badly of another woman. But I'm just like, do you know what that is? Like, do you know, do you know how to apartment hunt? Like, like, you've ever done that before? But so that was funny. But I can't say that this movie does well for the final girl trope. Um, I think there's too many things that are like, ooh, maybe we shouldn't imply that about women or maybe we shouldn't do this with women. And so I don't think that there's enough solid character building. I don't think there's enough of, hey, let's empower Um, Our female characters will show that kind of tendency for women to be a little bit more cautious. I don't think that exists enough um, to really be an example of the final girl trope. And I have to say, you know, the people that were on this wrote The Conjuring. Did you know that? Did you realize that?
0: No. Okay, so I'm a huge James Wan buff. Uh, Yeah. So I, I love him to the moon and back. Saw the original is my Bible. Really, so destroy him for me now. I'm gonna cry. Uh, but
1: see, I don't think it was necessarily James Wan, I think it was the same screenwriters.
0: Oh, thank goodness!
1: Okay. Yeah, I think it was the same screenwriters. And I don't know about you, but when I watch and I rewatched it for you, rewatched the there's Sultan one for you.
0: Uh, um,
1: sorry. It's all right. It's all right. You watched House of Wax for me, the good one. So I was gonna say it's a fair trade off, but no, it's not. (laughs) But this bargain. Yeah, yeah. I just the whole time I watched that movie, I'm like, fix your script. Like this doesn't make any sense. Fix your script. I love um, douchey like Chad Michael Murray. Um, That's so 2000s of them, you know, like and then when they're throwing football and he's not going to throw the football to Jared Padalecki, like we're not friends. Like it's funny how clicky the guys film at times, like, yes. you know, cause that's usually the the stereotype is, you know, the young women. And it, it also had like the kind of like, if you have sex, you will die. Uh Kind of trope too. you right. know, Going up. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that, uh, I think that was my biggest takeaway from it was it, it takes every single trope that we expect with these movies, and it just leaned into them to the to the eleventh degree. We've got we've got the jock, we've got the bad boy, we've got we've got the slut, we've got like all all the typical. Yeah, jokes. and they're like absolutely none of these characters have depth beyond that trope. It is everything no. that the Cabin in the Woods movie makes fun of. Right. Um, if if you want the example of all of these tropes played out for you. Here we go. I also don't get, with the original House of Wax movie, so much of the focus is on Vincent Price and on this wax sculptor. The remake trashes that entire storyline. It doesn't even try to do
1: something
0: from the villain's perspective. It's just about these kids. And none of the kids are good characters. You want them to die.
1: Yeah. The only one that hurts me is, is Jared Padalecki. And see, I can't even remember his character's name. And when I thought about it, I'm like, why do I give a shit? Because, I mean, he was somewhat, the sometimes the decent character, you know, just morally correct above the others in some ways. Sometimes he'd say stuff and I'm like, shut the fuck up. You're like, you're being a massive <laughs> dick. <kid."> but um, <laughs> there were other times when I was like, man, like, and he's, his ending was sucky, right? Jared Padalecki is the one who became like the wax figurine that could still look at people. Like he could kind of move his eyes. Is that right?
0: I, I'm i trying to remember if it was him or Chad Michael Murray that survived. One of the two of them survived and the other one died.
1: Okay, okay. Um, but I think the the only reason I felt a tug towards Jared Padalecki, it took me a minute, is because I'm a Supernatural fan. Right. So I, I think that was it. I was just like, this is Sam. I'm like, Sam, young Sam, what the hell are you doing? You know, this is bad news. Like, come on. And then, and then that, that line that Jared Padalecki has and they're standing outside the house and the house is made of wax. Like that makes no fucking sense. It makes no sense at all to have the house made of wax.
0: The only reason I think they included that plot point was so that the final scene looked a little bit cooler. Yeah. That is something I want to give them credit for. There are some shots in the final act as the house is literally melting around the characters that are really cool. Yeah. They immediately counter those cool shots with CGI garbage. Yes. (laughs) half of a set out of wax and melted it as the actors were running around and the other half they were like ah, eh, fuck it we're just gonna we're just gonna digitize this and yeah. it's so painfully jarring when they jump back and forth that I cannot watch the final act again like yeah. I one time and this second time with the walk with my watch through this is why I don't remember who survived at the end I just stopped when we got to that point it was like I can't this is
1: yeah yeah and if I'm being honest with you when I say I watched it again I was like folding (laughs) laundry I left to let the dogs out and you know I have three dogs so I was gone for 30 minutes and (laughs) you know so um I it's bad and I guess it, it was basically like do you it was basically like they wanted to get a horror movie out at a specific date like so i actually looked up like i wanted some freaking explanation as to why this movie was so fucking awful and so i i did i like i'm like how could the screenwriters that put together the conjuring make this trash and it was basically because they were hired to make trash like seriously it was like all the deadlines were super scrunched um it's funny because if like you even mention that to one of those writers in an interview they're immediately like they just look down and they're smiling and it's I feel like it's kind of like Leonardo DiCaprio when you ask him if his character could have fit on the door and he just, like, won't look at you. Like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm legally under contract to, to not say a thing. <laughs> but yes. <laughs>
0: but yes.
1: Yeah. Like, does our movie suck? Um, we I don't know. But yes.
0: <laughs> Can you ask us any other question? <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh. Okay, so let's, let, let's get off House of Wax remake then. Because... Yeah, it, it's just a thing.
1: If you're listening, Paris and it was not your fault.
0: <laughs> it I, There's a lot of things that aren't your fault. This was not one of those things. No,
1: this was uh, not your fault.
0: Uh, yeah. But yeah. okay, let, let's get into an actual good example of the final girl trope. For this, we're circling to your short story. Uh, the Butcher on Blue Jay Way. The Butcher of Blue Jay Way. <laughs> I think it's...
1: Butcher on, <laughs> Butcher on, Blue I believe <laughs> my editor is going to be like Haley. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Shout
1: out to Clayton. Um, Clayton. But, yes, Clayton. He's so Clayton has been with me on every single project, including the um, the new one I have coming out called The Loom of Lavender Love. Um, and that one was cool because I tried. So I'm, I'm sorry, I'm skipping over myself. Yep. Um, but. <laughs> okay, for my new one, I thought I would have this. I'm, I'm going to be a little spoilery. Um, I wanted to do the final girl who doesn't want to be the final girl. Okay. The final girl who has a purpose to, I don't want to say to die, but to, to, it seems not like the hopeless final girl or anything like that. It seems like she's the final girl who realizes that there's something bigger than her. And so that was kind of what I was what I was trying to do with that. Okay. Um, with The Butcher on Blue Jay Way, God, I had so much fun on that story. It was so much fun. It was really so that the slash slash her uh, uh, anthology, I should just kind of lay the framework here. Yes. Um, yeah, it is from Kandisha um, Press and it was edited by Jill Girardi and Janine Pipe, just some really awesome women in horror. And it has really great women in it as well. Uh, Brianna Morgan, uh, Cynthia Pileo. Um, we, we got some praise from Stephen Graham Jones, the author of My Heart is a Chainsaw. Yes. And The Last Final Girl. Um, so that was really, really cool. But basically it was all of us women who kind of came together and said, God, we love slasher movies. We love the final girl trope. What if we actually did it from a woman's perspective? Because really until recently, we didn't have that. So, you know, we had these men saying, this is going to be the last girl alive. And that means something. So we wanted, we wanted to kind of throw a woman's perspective on it. And so I think it's cool because we all kind of took something that society or, or, you know, society believes about women or men believe about women or something like that. And so for me, I I also like, am really into true crime and I wasn't until I started studying psychology. I I minored in psychology. Um, But I always think it's, it's, I think it's interesting because true crime to me kind of has always has a final girl or not always, but in, in some cases there, there are, you know, the final, there are the final girls, but so I was researching and there are so many serial killers where we know how not like exact how many, but we know they killed a ton of people or a ton of women. We know that they did these awful things, but sometimes what, what history leaves out is how many, just how many serial killers specifically targeted sex workers women who were sex workers and I think that's slightly becoming more common knowledge that you know some serial killers targeted prostitutes but what's really really just sucky about it is you know how many people were like oh yeah like she's a slut like sucks to suck she died you know right. sucks to sucks might have been a little too cheeky um, but <laughs> um <laughs> but
0: going, oh, yeah
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, can you tell I'm an Elvira fan? (laughs) I feel like sometimes I go there. But I love Elvira. I love Elvira so much. But I do think that in the Butcher on Blue Jay way, I think it's on (laughs) Butcher on Blue Jay way. I have women who are all sex workers. And it's a positive experience for them. It's not oh, this is my last resort. I have nothing else I can do. I have hungry children I need to feed because I didn't, I was, I didn't want to shame my, my women because, you know, there are tons of sex workers who, who do it by choice and enjoy what they do and stuff like that. And so I thought, how interesting would it be to show that way back when, like I was kind of putting this in like Sweeney Todd kind of era. So I can't, I don't know, like the, I'm not going to say this happened in whatever date, but that's kind of what I was thinking. I wanted like an older kind of English vibe. And so the main road in the town at night is called Blue Jay Way. And the women, who the sex workers are called Blue Jays. And so like, they even have this like little little interaction where when they leave their clients, they're like, bye-bye birdie or something like that. And it's, I make it a good experience. Like, so I show my main character who's named Lori, Lori Strode. Yeah, I always do that. So if you read my second novel, Take Your Turn, Teddy, oh my God, is that thing loaded with Halloween references? There's some Vincent Price in there too. And it's funny because nobody catches those. Uh, so maybe you will now. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I always name everyone that is in my in my books, or in my books, all the characters in my book, they are named after something like I I do. I don't get lost in character names. But Um, I always give them names. And so a lot of the the women that I I named are Jack the Ripper victims. And so I actually researched and it was, it was so hard to find. People would say, you know, good things about these women. And so I tried to really dig those up and bring that in their characters. And so that was really cool. And I tried to just personalize the whole prostitution thing a little bit more. And I had a lot of fun with it. And it plays on some Ed Gein kind of tropes too. Sort of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Psycho.
0: Yeah, I okay. So I'm I'm intentionally going to try to avoid spoilers for this part of the podcast because I, I want to encourage people to go out and get get the Slash Her anthology and read your story. Thank you. The, um, but the there are a lot of little winks and nods that I noticed too, like you said, Psycho. Um, yes. when you get to the ha- second half of the story, the psycho references are like very, very prominent there. And then even the Halloween, I think there was one moment where somebody was trying to get through a door and, and
1: yes,
0: I kind of noticed a Michael Myers, like, okay. All right. Cool.
1: Yes. And I, I,
0: I, there that's, that's great.
1: <laughs> I, I love Halloween. Is it a perfect movie? No. no. Um, is it, is it, I don't even think it's, Fair to like as a film student, I used to be like, oh, that's cinematic brilliance. Now my professor's like, but is it cinematic brilliance? And I'm like, it's brilliant to me. <laughs> and uh, so I love Halloween. I do uh, it's fun. Jamie Lee Curtis is a hell of an actress. And so I I actually always try to pay some kind of nod to Halloween in all of my work. And so I it felt perfect to name her her Lori, my main character in Butcher on Blue Jay Way. Yeah.
0: And then you already kind of hit on this, but a, another thing that really I appreciated and struck me about your story was the fact that you you have these sex workers uh, as the main characters, the the main group of friends. They're not all perfectly friendly, but it feels like a very genuine friendship. Like, oh, this one person's rubbing me the wrong way today. I don't really love them right now, but we it, we're all in this together. We're all we're all gonna be friends like at the end of the week. Like, yeah. it, it felt like hanging out with my friends group like I, I see yeah a, a lot of
1: yeah it. it's like oh you're doing dumb shit again but I guess we'll keep you around you know that's
0: <laughs> <laughs> right
1: <laughs> like I'm an identical twin and I love my sister to death but she does stuff and I'm just like I always put on like my red foreman you know that 70s show voice I'm like dumbass. <laughs> and so I wanted to have that especially showing the age groups like the or sorry the age differences between the sex workers so you have the one that the young girl is like really bright and just like loves life. And then the, you know, the hardens like older woman who's like, no shit sucks, but at least we're making money and I'm going to have a glass of wine.
0: <laughs> yeah. When, when they get to uh, dodging spoilers here, when they get to the one place and some of them start having glasses of wine, it was very like,
1: did you catch the egg girl Poe reference there? Are you a Poe fan?
0: I am. Wait. Tell me what short short story it was, and I might be able to put the reference together.
1: Um, I am
0: going to Telltale Heart and Cask of Amontillado.
1: It's that one, the Cask of Amontillado.
0: Oh my gosh, I get it. You get it? <laughs> it okay, so we. That I made it to start with, but now that I yes, okay, I'm there. I'm there.
1: Yes, yes. So that was fun to me too. So I I love doing that. It's fun for me to write. So I'm like, he he, will somebody pick up on this? <laughs> and so. I always do that. And one more thing that I I, I will just say is all of my work, everything, even this story, especially the story is always a Beatles nod. Because I listen to the Beatles constantly. I listen to them straight through when I write. And so Blue Jay Way is actually the name of a Beatles song. And so it's kind of creepy when you listen to it. And so I thought, what if we made this like a creepy place? And just like the way uh, I I believe it's, yeah, it's Lennon singing on it. Just kind of the things he said, I was just kind of like, what if we turn that on its head a little bit and made it creepy? And sometimes the Beatles could be a little creepy. Like you better run for your life if you can, little girl. Like, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, please take me, take me of yours. <laughs> Speaking to me that way.
0: Every single lyric from I am the walrus. Yes. I'm disturbed. Yeah. So- I'm
1: disturbed too. And, but I, I've never, so I talk about the Beatles a lot with my grandfather, but I've never told him the the, you know, the, like, that sounds disturbing. I don't do that with that song because since I've been a kid, we call him the walrus.
0: Okay. (laughs) Right.
1: Sorry, Papa, don't listen.
0: (laughs) Positive connotations. Yeah. (laughs) But I guess uh, kind of last line of questioning here and then we'll we'll try to wrap it up. So with Butcher on Blue Jay Way, uh, you've got these sex workers and you're kind of taking that, I hate to call it the slut, stereotype because that has such a negative connotation about it but the the sexually promiscuous stereotype and you're making it this you don't need to be ashamed of it thing kind of like you already talked about uh and you're putting the final girl for this book or for the short story within that category that typically in slasher movies and slasher films you've got one or the other you don't get to be both yeah, But I like that you really played off of making those two the same character. Do you see kind of that as the next evolution of slashers, that mixing of stereotypes, that, that blending of stereotypes or that overcoming stereotypes?
1: Yeah, I would. I mean, I would certainly hope so. And I that's why I'm so I am so proud of this anthology. And I think that's that's a huge reason for it. I mean, you have mothers that don't want to be mothers in this story. Um, you have women who are sex workers, and they don't think that they failed at life or that they're secondary citizens or anything like that. And so, I I hope that people will try to continue to do that. Um, I also hope that in reading this, we as horror fans expect a little bit more from um, from our characters, some just something that has substance. You know, like okay, but wh- why are all sex workers so ashamed of being sex workers? Well, they're actually not. So what if, what if, I just, I kind of like those what if questions. And because you find that you, you're getting a a more realistic definition of these people. And I think that that's the realism behind it is there's not a definition to these people. You get people who want to be there, people who don't, people who have done it their whole life, people who are just starting and they're really excited and bright eyed about it. And so, yeah, I hope that that's the future of the slasher genre. And I, I think it's really powerful that a group of women kind of came together and said, "We're gonna we're gonna try to reshape the slasher genre with the final girl trope and make it just really kick ass, super empowering for women, and it's also just a ton of fun."
0: So the the wrap up question that I usually ask our guests, I feel like the slash her anthology might already answer this question, but I'm gonna pose it to you anyhow, just in case you've got a you've got a crazy answer here. <laughs> um, if you were approached by a publisher or approached by a production company or anything like that. And they said, make us the greatest example of a final girl book, movie, video game, what have you like the, the world is yours. No notes on anything you hand us, no limits on the budget. What is it you would want to make? How But wow. the best final girl possible?
1: Oh, this is so, this is a kick-ass question. <laughs> so I would immediately go to the cautiousness. I think that's, I think that's like stellar. Am I, am I doing this correctly? Like answering kind of with like characteristics? Yeah. yeah that, okay.
0: Cool. It, it's okay. your question, whatever you want to do with it.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. I know if you were like, damn it, that's not what I meant. <laughs> um, so I definitely love the cautiousness. I would continue to have the the cautiousness of the final girl, and then the disbelief of others around her. I think that that is something that's going to exist forever. Not just because, I mean, you do have the one hand where people shut down women, but you have the other hand where some people might believe you and the thought is too scary. You know, we do that all the time. I know I saw somebody there, but I'm going to close the blinds and put in my headphones. We're fine. (laughs) You know, like that's the brilliant plan. Um, So definitely the cautiousness, I think that you would have to have the external um, struggle of being believed, of pursuing your, your, you know, what you believe to be true, even though people call you crazy for it. I also, I want, I want that character development in it. I want to see you take somebody who maybe is kind of the timid person, the quiet person, and we see them just really like, no, this is what's going on. This is do or die. And like, you see their boldness. And I think it's, I love that about horror because fear does that, you know, and fear fear can open up a lot of women who otherwise might've been kind of timid. And I think we see that with Sydney Prescott a little bit. Um, we see her become a little bit more like spicy, but in a good way, you know, where she's just like, that's not what fucking happened. Um, <laughs> or, I know what I saw. Yes. And I, I don't know that she ever says that's not what fucking happened, but you know, that's, that's what I think of when I, and I get her passion. Um, so I, I need the passion. I need the, no, this is what I saw. I'm right. I need the development of uh, maybe tibbiness or maybe even just like the person who um, doesn't really get involved into things and and then feels very pulled into it. Um, I love that situation. That kind of felt like Laurie Strode to me. Like, oh, I, I don't want all this boogeyman. I don't want all this sex while all you are dying because you had sex. And, but then it was the fear and her connection to the children she was protecting that made her step up to the plate. And so I really like that. I really like that when we see this person who at the beginning feels somewhat removed even if the killer is watching them and then we see them where they you know the option is run or basically do do the right thing and and it's really cool when they do that and they're bold as hell. You know, not to say Laura Shore wasn't scared because she was, but I mean, she, she was badass. She really was. So I'm sorry if that was a long list, but that's how I kind of see my final girl. That's how I picture her. I kind of see like a Laurie Strode meets Sydney Prescott a little bit. I love that. That's my mashup.
0: The the spiciness. You already you already mentioned Stephen Graham Jones, My Heart is a Chainsaw, but yes. As soon as you you said the spiciness, I started thinking of Jade. Like yes. All, all of her uh yes. ness. <laughs>
1: yes. It's such a good, yeah. But. yeah.
0: That's a great answer.
1: Oh. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, one more th- and then Abra from um Dr. Sleep. She's she's kind of a final girl. Yeah. I would have
0: never thought of her as a final girl.
1: But she is, don't you think?
0: But she is, you're right. Yeah. The one she... where uh Rose uh, yeah. had is like in her dream with the memory filing cabinet thing. It's just oh. the gnarliest.
1: Oh, I the
0: gnarliest attack. in a long time. You know, there's again hates hands.
1: Oh, Just, yeah, it's a it's a there's a medical word. My sister used to be in surgery. So she would tell me it's called degloving. Oh,
0: so, it's like, awful.
1: Yeah. So sorry, listeners, but we got to make you cringe a little bit. We're talking about horror.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's such a perfect mental image, though, because that's exactly what it is.
1: Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Sorry. I'm shivering. <laughs>
0: Okay, working that into my next book now.
1: <laughs> yeah, do it.
0: Oh, gosh. Okay, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This was a lot of fun. I I loved talking to you. Do you have anything else you'd like to say about your current works or where people can find you on social media before we sign off?
1: Yeah, so you can find me on all social media platforms at Haley Newland Author. I just got onto TikTok and I'm having a lot of fun with that. And- My upcoming work, I have a novel coming out called um, The Nowhere Man, and I'm really excited. It's another 1970s horror novel, and I I think I'll have to dig into some final girl tropes a little bit, some some sections of that. Um, But most recently, um, Saturday, uh, June 25th, is the release date for There's More of Us Than You Know, which is the queer horror anthology organized by the most amazing human being, Spencer Hamilton and featuring my short story The Loom of Lavender Love.
0: All right. So yeah, make sure we will be posting this sometime in August so the the awesome. anthology will have been out for for a minute. But make sure you go back. And if you haven't picked that up yet, give that a look. Haley, thank you so much for coming on today. That just about wraps us up for this episode, though. To everybody listening, thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget to like or subscribe or deglove the streaming service of choice. <laughs> uh, and we'll see you next time. I am William Sterling, and this has been another episode of the Killer Mediums podcast. Bye!
1: Foreigners tied bells to everybody in the morgue so if they heard a ting, they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go.